Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, let's go to Philippians. We're in chapter 1, we'll be in verses 18 through 26 today. And today I want us to look at gospel hope, gospel hope, the pattern of Christian thinking, the pattern of Christian thinking. You know, journals are numerous, without end in our day and time, and many of you I know use journals. I use journals feverishly. I I go through six or more journals a year because I use different journals for different aspects of my prayer life and of uh, different aspects of my job. I have some little small ones I carry with me just to jot notes. I have larger ones that I uh, do sermon prep in, all different sizes and shapes. And so I'm always on the lookout for journals that I think can help me. And listen, there is no end to the promises that journals make for you today. I mean, you, you can get them, you know, that say, in the top, we're going to organize your life. You're going to be more productive. Step one, put your name at the top of the page. Oh, I am knocking it out today. Put the date up there. Yeah, that's good. That way I know what day it is. And I mean, you know, they, they, you can outline your request. You can outline your task for the day. You can do all of this work on there. But when I was scrolling uh, not too long ago, several months ago, I saw one that, that was titled Thinker's Smart Notebook. We're there, baby. We're in it. Like, this is going to change the game for Lane. And so I ordered one. And when I got it, I had one of those, wait a minute, moments. Right? Like you've had one of those moments when you go, wait a minute, that's not exactly what I thought it was by the promise it made. You, you know what kind of moment I'm talking about. When you're like, have I been snookered here? I got the notebook. Oh, it was so cool. The outside of it was like this, like this faux leather, couldn't tear. When I spill coffee, it's not going to, you know, soak into it. It was an incredible, and and it had these cool colors all around the edges. And when I opened it up, I thought, wait a minute, didn't have anything in it. It was just dots on a page. And I had one of those moments of going, yes, this is good. This is good. You're just like. What do you need? It's not about everything you need. It's, it's about having sometimes less, right? Well, if you get a thinker smart notebook, maybe you'll understand what I'm saying. I, I mean, I expected the voila moment when I opened it, and I opened it to empty pages. How am I supposed to be productive with an empty page? How do I know what to put on the page? Oh, I remember from the last one. Never mind. Last week, we looked at Christian Perspective. How it is that we see all that is to understand it. But today, I want us to move a little deeper as I believe Paul leads us. And I want us to think about how we think. And I want us to to think about how we think in determining 
how it is that we interpret everything that is to understand it. In other words, you, you've heard me say this before. We, we always have an agenda. Our agenda is to get in your head. Like our agenda is to get into your mind. Why? Because the New Testament teaches us that the transformation of our salvation in Jesus Christ begins by the renewing of the mind. We don't think correctly without God. This has got to be corrected. And, and how is it corrected? But by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I believe Paul provides a lot more helpful information on how we should think correctly in the Christian life, even more so than the greatest of any journals that you might find today. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at the end of verse 18 where the new paragraph begins, and I'll read through verse 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it, has, uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, shall I, cho yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better." But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his truth today. Paul anchors his joy in, serve, in, in serving the gospel and, and in the confidence of his salvation. That's what we hear from him in these verses. And he says this, that through the prayers of the Philippians and through the work of the Holy Spirit, he is confident that he will be delivered. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, remember what's transpired. This is 10 or 12 years after Paul planted the church in Philippi. He's in a prison in Rome or, or very likely under house arrest in Rome. And in this prison in Rome, he's writing back to them as they've continued to support him and he knows and feels the prayers of God's people. But he puts two items so closely associated in his words here that they must be directly connected. And that's what I want to begin with you seeing today. He says this in verse uh, uh, 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, the way he writes that is not just listing them, but he's marrying them together. He's, he's closely associating them so that they go together. He is saying that when the Philippians pray for him, the Holy Spirit comes to his aid. I want us to think about that for a moment, friends, because this is potent. The prayers of God's people infuse the power of the Holy Spirit to a person in need. Now, now does someone have to pray for the Spirit of God to work? No, no. 
Holy Spirit is as sovereign as the Son as the Father. But listen to me, by the ordination of God the Father in the way that his triune being works, he brings his people into his work. And when God's people pray, God's spirit works. This is, this is what Paul is teaching us, that he, he's wanting to say to the Philippians, don't stop praying, because when you pray, I feel the spirit work. I know it. Life point, when we pray, it matters. And when we don't, that matters too. God works when we pray to do what only God can do, to do far more than we could ever do. And this is the plea of Paul to the Philippians. You see, his exact reference is a little bit unclear when he refers to deliverance. The word there for deliverance is our word for salvation. And, and, and commentators aren't sure if Paul's referring to the confidence he has in his salvation, ultimately at the end of his life, or if he is confident in the deliverance from his immediate situation. In other words, commentators go, I don't know if Paul was talking about he's confident he's going to get out of prison and go back to Philippi, or if he's just saying that he knows that he is secure in God. But this one thing is clear. He doesn't separate the two. Think about that for a moment. He, he doesn't make a distinction between his conversion and his present situation. I think this is critical specifically in the pattern of our thinking. Because so often we perceive our salvation with God to be some moment of entrance, but far too often, not a lifetime of abiding. And Paul's clarifying that. You see, Paul rejoices, not because everything is working perfectly, but he rejoices in knowing that everything will be perfectly worked out no matter how it ends. What we're doing this morning is reframing our understanding in order to ensure that we have a correct pattern of thinking about all things. You see, Paul's joy is in what he knows to be true of God and how it is that the Spirit of God will deliver him. That's where his joy is sourced for Paul to know what Christ has done in his salvation means to hold to him and to trust what he is doing in his present situation because his hope in Christ is sufficient for both. Now friends, I begin with this because Paul begins with this, but I believe verses 19 and 20 pour the foundation of understanding in order for a biblical Christian pattern of thinking to emerge. You see, Paul did not understand his salvation as something separate from his daily life or his personal situation. Whatever occurs, whether it is in life or in death, Paul concludes this, Christ will be honored in my body. 
In other words, in his physical life. And why is this? Because salvation in Jesus gets worked out through every situation as God works in us. We've got to get away from this only ideation that salvation is only future or only past. There was a great moment in my life and there will be an even greater moment in my life. But in between, I've got to hang on for dear life. That's not true, friends. From the moment God brings new life into you, you are his, you are in his hands. That's what Paul is teaching us. And the way you think about your life on earth should be patterned by what you understand in the one who gave you new life on this earth. And though we often don't know or understand the means of God's work, which Paul obviously did not know, Because he said, I don't know. I don't know if if this is it for me, if it's the end. If it is, then my life will be gained. Or or if if God will, will leave me here to continue to minister. But here's what he did know. The end was never in question. If in this physical life, this is it for me, if, if my life is about to be taken from me, then so be it. God will be honored in my flesh. But if not, I'll see you again. And the ministry of the gospel will continue because that's the only reason I exist in all things. You see, the way that we walk through the means or the way that we walk through God's work in the journey of this thing we call life is to keep our eyes on the end where our promise in Jesus rests and cannot be shaken. This is the explanation of that sure conviction that he expressed in chapter six, excuse me, uh, verse six of chapter one. When he says this, that I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, to perfection on the day of Jesus Christ. That that's the conviction. And what Paul is doing is he's helping us understand how the foundation of that conviction through every dark day and every heavy circumstance of our life holds us to stay focused on the one who is our prize, our goal, the end. Our eternal hope in Jesus is our sure conviction of his firm grip to hold us through every situation and every circumstance. You see, friends, our sure conviction that I am sure of this is the conviction that says, let's stop questioning God and let's start seeking God. Let's stop asking God, why me? And say to God, what now, Lord? You brought me here. I'm not here without your ordination and I am not here without your purpose. Show me what you have for us in this situation. That's what Paul is teaching us. The hope that Paul holds in Christ provides for us a pattern of thinking so that we might honor Christ at all times in our life. And and he gives us one of the clearest and most succinct and concise mission statements ever penned for the Christian life. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is no cloudiness in this, friends. There is no disclarity. and There's no confusion in this for us. It is crystal clear. 
And yet even to read the verse brings conviction in the heart. He goes on to say, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. But look, look at the, the next, uh, the last of verse 22 and the first part of verse 23. He says this, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He, he is literally, there is a wavering in his mind, not between whether he's going to trust God or not, but what the outcome of this is, I have no idea. I'm, I'm in a situation where I literally can't see the next step, the next day, let alone what's a week ahead or a month out. Which shall I choose? I, I cannot tell. He says, I, I'm not sure. I, I want to be with Christ, but I want to be with his people. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm the ball in the tennis match. I'm the ball in the ping-pong match. Because I keep going back and forth, back and forth, being hard-pressed between which is the greater of my two desires. He says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so he says this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. Surely it sounds like Paul felt as though he would be returning to Philippi, though we don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that with every day of his life, every breath, that he drew, he was convinced for what it would be used for his life. You see, Paul's situation caused him to reflect on his whole life. This was not a mantra he wrote for his social media bio. This is how he has lived his whole life since his conversion on the road to Damascus. There would be no opportunity lost. There would be no situation squandered. There would be no moment wasted. He is wrestling with the desires that rested at the deepest parts of his being. And he was doing that in the midst of his hardest circumstances. And against the temptation to feel otherwise, he aligns his thinking with what he knows to be true and he sets his life to faithful service in trusting how God will work things out. Don't miss this. It's not just critical for Paul and his faithful endurance and perseverance. It's critical for you and I today for the same you see, hard times have a way of placing life under magnification. We analyze everything. We analyze our actions. We analyze our thoughts. And we start asking what we're or reviewing in our mind. What got us where we are? And what could we have done differently? Or what did we do wrong? What, what happened right? And, and, and we also ask what may or may not be yet to come. Our, our vision tunnels, not only on our eyes, but specifically in our mind in these moments. When the adrenaline runs and the, the confusion is narrowing our thinking on those different aspects of life and we review and we rehearse specific aspects over and over and over again, trying to identify and 
identify and find those key points to help us make sense of and see clearly through. And in these moments, we can be vulnerable because our thinking may lead to bad decisions based on faulty conclusions from a wrong understanding. So we're vulnerable at these moments. But listen to me, the greatest safeguard against taking wrong turns out of hard times is a life that is tethered to that which will help steer you along the path of remaining faithful. And that's hope in Christ. The truth of what you know about God, about who He sent in His Son, and what He has done for us, and specifically the work that the Holy Spirit is carrying out for Him in us. This is of critical importance for every Christ follower. What you believe about and how you think about your life in Christ determines what you do when times become uncertain. You know how I know it? Because there's never been a moment in 32 plus years of pastoral ministry or 50 plus years of life. That's enough. We don't have to give the exact number. where more people have cause to question God and everything about God because of the difficulty and uncertainty of the circumstances in which they lived. People walking away from everything that they claim to be true and I believe so often wanted to believe and yet we're not holding to it. And as I'll, as I'll argue in a moment, have allowed competing priorities to enter in And it caused them to say, I'm not in for that. And walk away. Now just because they walk away from one church, I'm not claiming they've walked away from God. But I already know plenty that have. Not just from a church, but from the church. My question for you, friends. My question for all of us. Where is that moment? Where is that line for you? Do you know? You don't have to know the moment or the situation or the line. I'm not saying that. But if you're not prepared for it now, you won't be ready when it arrives. Matter of fact, you'll be surprised by it. Surprised by it. This is of critical importance for every Christ follower. What you believe about and how you think about your life in Christ determines what you do when times become uncertain. Not one Christian leader, and I'll pick on them for a moment since they've been so high profile. Not one Christian leader today that is charting and constructing a path of deconstruction for any Christian that wants to take it said at some point prior to that moment, you know what, I'm a pastor today, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to renounce my faith and walk away. Not one said, listen, this is all working for me now, but there's coming a day when it's not going to work for me anymore. No. That's not how they prepared. You know how they prepared? They tolerated little instances in their heart and in their mind. They they allowed speculation about God's word to overcome what they knew to be true about God. And when it all rose to the top and everything was at a point where most of them, I'm convinced, didn't even see it for themselves, 
Then the pressure came. Like Paul said, I am hard pressed on every side. And I'm telling you, because of what they had put inside when they got squeezed, that's what came out. It won't be any different for us. It won't be any different for us. Train your mind to strengthen your hope and joy so you will have it when you most needed. Here's what I want you to walk away with today, friends. Christ followers prioritize the glory of Jesus Christ in the pattern of our thinking to focus on faithfulness to him in our living. Christ followers prioritize the glory of Jesus Christ in the pattern of our thinking to focus on faithfulness to him in our living. The failure of Christian thinking often occurs in our focus on outcome versus obedience. Outcome versus obedience. We demand a guarantee from God about our situation. God gives us an eternal promise and a command to trust and obey. We we demand of God to know the end from the beginning. God says, you already know the end. I am that I am. I am the end, capital E. And that end is eternal. We demand, God, tell me everything is going to be okay about our own situation and and what we're inferring is the immediate alleviation of it. God says, it's going to be better than okay. I've already promised you I'm working everything out for your good. I guarantee that everything will be eternally glorious. What you believe about God should not just sway or brighten your thinking, but it should determine what you believe about your life. If there's anything in your life or in your living or even in the inkling of your heart or mind that is confronted by the word of God, it is not to be argued and put forth, it is to be confessed and repented of. What we know about God determines what we believe about our life, whether we like to admit it or not. And what it is that we believe about our life must steer our thinking to determine how we live at all times. I'm telling you, friends, hard times are no different than easy times. Trust and obey is the word of God for us. We need nothing more than all that God has given us by the promise of his word and the command in his word. We need only trust and obey. You see, hope in Christ shapes our pattern of thinking to serve Jesus with our whole life in every circumstance. And so what I want us to see in these verses are two aspects that shape the pattern of our thinking and three influences that steer the Christian pattern of thinking. The first aspect that a Christian pattern of thinking begins with is this. There is one priority, the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Paul culminates with this one priority being the glory of Jesus Christ. It can't just be talk, all, all things for the glory of God. Yes, all things for the glory of God, but it must not just be our talk. It must be the way that we determine our walk. And though his final culminating statement here 
It's not, uh, uh, excuse me, in the text, it's his final culminating statement, but it's the guiding priority for everything that he says. I think I said it was in verse 19, it's actually in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That there's no competing priority for Paul. His own safety is not competing with the glory of God in this situation. His own security is not competing with the glory of God in his situation. His own comfort, his own convenience, nothing is competing with the glory of God for Paul in his situation. It is the glory of Jesus Christ that sets the direction for all things in Paul's thinking. And listen, friends, until you settle this matter, your thinking will always be convoluted. And the heavier and harder the times, the more convoluted your thinking. Why? Because your worship is not wholehearted. You've not sold out to Jesus Christ. He's Lord for you, but he's not Lord. He's almost all, but he's not everything. But friends, when Jesus is Lord, there's no argument. And listen, competing priorities weigh into every decision to distort our thinking. This is why Joshua said to the children of Israel at the end of his life in chapter 24, verse 15, when he had seen all that the Lord had done, when he had seen all that God had carried them through and brought them into, Joshua said this, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we we will serve the Lord. Whether in this life or in death, Paul says, I will serve the Lord. If you wait, if you wait to set this, you will elevate other things that always interfere in your thinking. Always. And as long as you have competing priorities, you'll never have a clear pattern of thinking nor a confident hope in focus. Loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength means setting his glory as your priority. Not one of as the. And so I ask you today with this first aspect that shapes the pattern of your thinking. Have you set the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ as the priority of your life? The second aspect that shapes the Christian pattern of thinking culminates with one focus. One focus. A whole life of faithful fruitfulness for Jesus. Don't say that fast. A whole life of faithful fruitfulness for Jesus. Make your plans, but submit them to God because he will be the one that orders your steps. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul says, I have a plan, I have an agenda. And here it is. But to die is gain. I know not what the ordering of my steps shall be. That's God's work. What does he mean by living or to live is Christ? He tells us what it means. It means fruitful labor. It doesn't mean lip service. 
It means being a living sacrifice of life service. You see, life in Christ is focused on faithfulness to Jesus' commands and fruitfulness in serving his kingdom. This is how Paul lived his whole life. And friends, how we live our whole life matters because this statement is not and cannot be true if we say anything other than Christ is our life. Listen, there is no gain in death if Christ is not your life. No gain. Have you ever thought about this one statement or any one statement that culminates your whole life? I think they can be good. I think there are different statements that encourage us in different ways at different times. But I'm talking about one that culminates everything. Complete this for your life. For to me, to live is. What is your life about? What what is the consuming practice? The consuming angle or aim or end of your life? For to me, to live is. And to die is, and that's an empty blank too, because here's why I say that whatever fills the first blank always determines what completes the second. Whatever fills the first blank always completes the second. You need not create your own. By the counsel of God's word, there is nothing that you can live for other than Jesus Christ and say that death will be your gain. Only a life lived by faith in Jesus Christ for his glory can view death as gain. That's it. Only a life for Jesus' glory can complete the sentence with gain in the second blank. But listen to me. Everyone that lives by faith in Jesus has the promise and the certainty of his very nature and being that it will be gain. Every one. And so I ask of you, how are you living today so that if it is your last, you can honestly say, death would be my gain. You see, Christian thinking focuses on this. What we know to be true of God determines the way we live our life. And the life lived for Christ is one of fruitful labor in serving the gospel to make disciples of all people. That's what Paul tells us. And so these are two aspects that shape the pattern of our thinking. If you look at just the raw material of our life, God lays the pattern that he wants to form in us of Jesus Christ. It is based on the priority of Jesus being glorified and the focus of our whole life being given to faithful fruitfulness in serving Jesus. But listen, there are three influences here that Paul gives us that steer our pattern of thinking in the midst of those moments when it is most needed. Look at verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice. Again, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What is the first influence that steers his thinking? It is the encouragement by the ministry of God's people in the church. The encouragement of the ministry of God's people. You want to know why prayer matters? That's what Paul says. 
Because every time you pray, my mind flushes out the trash of life that it wants to steer towards and remembers the priority of my life by the encouragement of God's people. He begins the whole section by identifying the prayers of God's people as a primary influence, but not just an influence, a help for him. And he's not only helped by, but he is encouraged by them. Why? Because he knows that their ministry is not just for him, but that in serving the gospel, their own progress and joy in the faith is coming to full fruition. Why? Because they're giving themselves to a life of faithful fruitfulness in serving Christ. They're not just serving Paul, they're serving Jesus by serving Paul. And the prayers and the ministry among God's people are the very things that are steering Paul's thinking with the help of the Spirit that comes every time they pray. To know that for him to remain in the flesh for gospel ministry is his call from God. These are the way that Paul clarifies what God has for him by the ministry of encouragement and help of the people of God around him. This is not just pie-in-the-sky talk. He's writing. He's just trying to encourage them. He didn't really mean it. No, friends, he doesn't just mean it. He's living by it. And it causes us to think, how is it that the ministry of God's people in the church is influencing my thinking? Well, I'm not sure, Pastor. I don't know anyone here. That would be one end of the spectrum that I would caution us against. The other end would be to say, I've taken counsel. I've requested prayer. And I'm waiting and watching for what God wants to do through them. Somewhere on this spectrum, every one of you exists. You see, it can be easy to show up and think you're one of. But the fact of the matter is, until you enter in and participate and until you invest your life in others and you open your life up to let them invest in you, you're not one of. You're not one of. You're just among. And, and over here, it can be so, so hard and challenging to go, man, I, what if people know that I'm struggling with this? What if people find out that, that like, I don't know in this situation and, and my faith in Christ feels so weak at times? What if they find out? Yes, what if? Paul's answering that question. They can pray for you and the, the strength of Christian fellowship can surround you and the Spirit of God actually fill you in that moment for that instant, in that decision or circumstance to bring about the will of God from within you that's what if but if we just sit like we got it all together here I am me and God are good anything I can do for you only that doesn't work you only receive the ministry of God's people by participation in the fellowship. We, we saw that in verses 3 through 11. Encouragement from God's people in the gospel is vital to keep the heart strong and to keep the mind clear. You say, but I need it every week, Pastor. Yes, you do. Why? Because that's why God ordained and commanded your participation. You need each other every day, not just every week. 
And I ask you, is your heart and your mind receiving the ministry from God's people, from gospel community to be steered to faithful fruitfulness? You can't be encouraged by people you're not around. There was a, a, a graphic posted on social media this week from an article put out by Lifeway Research. And, and the, the, the graphic was titled, Best Predictors for Spiritual Health. Here's the top six. Five, sorry, I had to count. Number one, and they're specifically talking about children maintaining their faith into adulthood. But this is true of adults too, because you were once children. Number one is the regular reading of God's word is the single most important criteria. And it's significant how much further. If you look on my news feed and Facebook, my personal feed, you'll find this. It's significant how much further out than the next three are. The next three are all equal, fundamentally equal. It's prayer, it's serving in the church, and it's listening to Christian music. Those are the next, those are two, three, and four that are pretty well equal on the graph. And number five is participating in church mission trips and serving projects and those kinds of things. You, you want to know why it breaks my heart to see the void of participation in the local church as a pastor? Because I didn't need a research analyst to tell me this, I've seen it for decades. Miss a Sunday and then two and then three. No, you don't go to hell for missing church on Sundays. But you may walk away from Jesus because it becomes so easy not to get up. And Satan makes it so comfortable. And in that instant, though you had the worst week of your life, in that instant makes you so weary, you think, I don't need to go today. When everything about your life says, you need to go and spend the whole day. Don't think this doesn't matter. And friends, the whole world is competing for your time. It's competing for your energies. But I'm telling you this. If you want your thinking to steer you after Christ, you better confront the conflicting priorities of your life and for your children. I'm telling you, parents, there are two things that I will boil this down to. Read the Bible with your children every night. I don't care if your children are two days old. You start letting them identify your voice by the reading of God's word to them and let them fall asleep to it. And pray with them every night. Pray with them in the mornings. You pray with them when hard times come because you train them in the way that you respond when hard times come and you bring them to church because the regular pattern of coming to church makes a statement about what you believe about who God is and how God works. All right, off the soapbox. Number two, that steers our thinking. It's in verse 19 and 20. It's his confidence in the Spirit's work for salvation. It's not his confidence in his own activity. It's not his confidence in his own assurance. It's his confidence in the Spirit's work for salvation. When God's people pray for him, Paul says the Holy Spirit helps him. And this helps strengthen his hope and his confidence in what God is doing in his life, whether in delivering him from his hard situation or in eternal salvation through death. There's so much good that's tangible that we can do in this world. 
We can, we can give aid to people. We can go and give elbow grease to helping with their situation, whatever it may require. We can show up and speak words. We can give money and alleviate some of their sufferings by addressing and meeting some of their needs. And these are good and healthy, but when they are disconnected from the prayers and the intercession of God's people, they mean nothing. Because we convince ourselves that what we can do is more important than what God wants to do. It never is. God help us that in every act of service they would excel in our giving, that we would excel in our serving and in our doing and in our speaking, but none of them would be disconnected by our desperate zealous zealousness for God to work by his spirit because that is the anchor of our confidence in him. Paul says his confidence in God is that he will continue to grow and that they will continue to grow. Philippians 1.6 does not just apply to our church life or our Christian life. It is our life. And God will bring all of these things to bear because it applies to everything. There is nothing in the Christian's life that Philippians 1.6 does not apply to. In every situation, the Christian confidently declares, God is perfecting and transforming me right in the middle of this. God is completing his perfection in me and he will not finish. There are no half-baked Christians in the end. And when you say, God, I can't hold on to you anymore, that's fine, just sit still. He's the one holding you. It's okay to be without strength. It's okay to be at your wit's end. It's okay to be at the end of your rope. It's okay to be at the end of your life. Because Christ has you. Philippians 1.6 has gripped you. Paul is confident in God for this, that what God did for me in my salvation at justification and what God is working in me now in my sanctification will carry me all the way to, to complete me in my glorification. Holy Spirit is the confirmation and the seal of our eternal hope, the illuminator and the guide in God's word and our strength to walk by faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. Are you taking in the word of God? Listening to the Spirit of God for daily strength from His Word. Communing with Him in prayer. Receiving from Him by His people. The third influence that steers us are life commitments that serve and honor Jesus Christ. Verse 24 and 25. Functionally, friends, verses 21 is the declaration that is established in verses 19 and 20 and fleshed out in 22 to 26. Life commitments that serve and honor Jesus Christ. Verse 24 and 25. The commitments Paul made in his life held him steady and led his thinking to serve the Lord in hard times. He said this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. You know what we call this today? We've gotten so busy, we don't have time for church. That's what we call it. Commitments are not aligned with our priority in life. And when they are not, they always create a competition for life resource and lead to false worship. 
Fathers, settle in your home what your family does on Sundays. What you do first. I'm not saying you can't do anything else. And like I said, you don't go to hell for missing a week of church. I'm not talking about that. And you know the spirit and the heart behind what I'm saying. But you settle in your home what Sunday is all about. And you make it a defining testimony for your family's life. Outside of that, let me ask you this. What commitments have you filled your life with? Are they aligned with the priorities that are worth selling out for? Do they add a steadying factor that leads you towards God? Or do they constantly pull you away? Do your life commitments tether you to what you know to be true of God and true of His people? Or are your commitments of life competing with God's work? Competing with the gospel in your life? Are the commitments of your life that consume your time your energy, your, your money. Those are the things that consume your thoughts. Are they fully aligned with the first priority of Jesus' glory and the first focus of faithful fruitfulness to serving His kingdom? Are they aligned with that? The commitments of your life steer your thinking as they align the resource of life with the priority of God's glory and the focus on serving His kingdom. Any other commitment only but always leads away from God. Christ followers prioritize the glory of Jesus Christ and the pattern of our thinking to focus on faithfulness to Him in our living. Let's pray.